0: That. But let me ask you a couple of questions as we go to this topic this morning. Uh, we're actually into the second part. I started last uh, a week on this spiritual makeover. Have you had a spiritual makeover? And we're going to uh, look at a passage again in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3 that discusses this very issue in just a moment. Well, a couple of things to get us thinking along the right lines. And I want you to really think in your minds about these things, because we're going to be contrasting two things in the passage we're going to look at this morning, law and grace. And it's going to be a a very strong contrast that God brings out in His Word. But uh, think about this concept. Do you desire to have freedom and basic boundaries, or do you prefer a very structured, rigid, inflexible environment? Now, most of you will probably say, I prefer flexibility. Uh, But there was, uh, uh, back when we look at the Old Testament law, it was very structured, very inflexible, very demanding. And uh, we're going to see that God's going to contrast those two things in 2 Corinthians this morning. Second question, do you see God's word as restrictive or as the means to find freedom, peace, and joy? A lot of folks will say, oh, all's I see in the Bible, all's I see at church is do's and don'ts. I got to do this. I can't do this. I got to do this. I can't do that. And it, it appears to be very restrictive. Well, quite frankly, the, the Word of God, when we're going to watch the contrast between the Old and New Testament, there's tremendous freedom for God's people. Now, it's not freedom to uh, go off and and live an immoral lifestyle and so forth, but there's tremendous freedom that God gives us today as his people. Well, let's go to the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, and we'll start to see how this is going to play out. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7, But if the ministry of death... Now, let me make it very clear. When we're looking at that which is going to appear to be negative, such as the ministry of death, we're talking about the Old Testament mosaic Law, And we'll go through that in a few minutes, but just set the context so you understand what you're looking at. But if the ministry of death of the Mosaic law, written and engraved on stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will, here starts the contrast, How will the ministry of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, or the Mosaic law, had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the what? The Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Just very briefly to to touch on that. What God is saying here, under the Old Testament, not all the revelation had been given yet. When we open up and get into the New Testament, things are revealed that had not been revealed in the Old Testament times. We'll see how that develops in just a moment. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that as we open up the Word of God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, uh, uh, probably the majority of folks are not under bondage. They're not under the law, nor do they seek to be. But Father, you made it so clear that what you've given to us in this wonderful time since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, the wonderful freedom, the wonderful liberty that we have in Jesus. So, Father, I pray this morning that you'd excite us once again about the wonderful benefits that you've given to believers in the Lord Jesus. And, Father, as always, as we look forward to taking communion in a few moments, I pray that if there's anyone here that's never placed their faith and trust in Christ, they don't know for sure if they died, they go to heaven, that they might find Jesus this morning and put their faith and trust in him. Now, Father, I pray that you do what only you can do, revive the saved and save the lost, in Jesus' name, amen. Sorry. Well, what we're going to do over the next several minutes, we're going to examine the glorious gospel and why we are encouraged to share it boldly. Well, first thing, and again, uh, your, the outline should be uh, in your bulletin if you want to follow along or take some additional notes. We're we're going to. I'm actually going to do something I've never done uh, here before. Now, I've been here three years. For those that are visiting, and uh, we take the Bible verse by verse. We go through and uh, try and look at things that are going to help us in our daily walk with Christ. And uh, there's many facets to that. But you know, there's so many, thank you, Nathaniel. You could hear it right, right in the voice. I was going to ask for it, but I didn't have to. <clears throat> That's why I'm going to miss you, buddy. Always on the job. All right, good guy. Um, here, here's the thing. Sometimes we have great assumptions about what people do and don't know. And uh, many of you that have been in the church or been saved, in other words, know Christ for many, many years, we're going to touch on something that goes way back to the basics. We, there's sometimes we miss some of the basics and uh, just skip over them like everybody automatically knows them. Well, sometimes there's things that we assume people know, and you may not, and there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, we're going to start out, what is the Mosaic Law? Where did it come from? When you open your Bible, now if, you got a, if you've got your Bible with you, and this is why I, I like a hard copy, I've, I've got... Way too many of them, but I got hundreds of Bibles at home. Here's where I want you to find if you've got a Bible, find the table of contents in your Bible. In other words, the list of the books Genesis, Exodus, all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a very specific reason why I'm doing this. Now, for some of you, this is ridiculously basic, for others, this is going to be eye opening as we contrast the Old Law and the New. And uh, just looking at the table of contents, which I'm going to go through in a few moments, is instructional. All right, let's start at 2 Corinthians 3, 7, which is on the screen for you, if your finger's in the table of contents as well. But if the ministry of death, all right, so when we're looking at the Old Testament law, and we're going to show you where that is in the Scriptures in just a moment, if the ministry of death, that Old Testament law, all those commandments uh, uh, found in the Old Testament Written and engraved on stones. Well, if you look at the picture up here, and it kind of comes up, you can see kind of a shiny-faced Moses with the tablets in his hand. Most everybody knows about, how many commandments do we always talk about? What number? Ten Commandments, okay? So he's talking about when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and he delivered to him the commandments. And by the way, and of course, those of you that uh, attend Union Grove Baptist are very familiar with this because I bring it up all the time. Uh, Is there more than ten commandments in the Old Testament? All right, let's see how many you get. How many commandments are there in the Old Testament? 613. 613. All right, very good. 365 negative, 248 positive. So there's a whole lot more than Ten Commandments. When we're talking about the Old Testament law, when we're talking about the Mosaic law, we're not just talking about those simple Ten Commandments, we're talking about a massive amount of material. But God is saying this. He's looking at the Old Testament law written and engraved on stones. He said that was glorious. The Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament, God said was glorious. It had purpose. It had meaning. And uh, when you read the Old Testament, though, especially if you're uh, uh, new to the Bible, you can read things and it becomes very confusing. And the reason it becomes confusing is it's like, well, wait a minute, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this. And you start going through the Old Testament law and it's like, wait a minute, this, how is this applicable to me today? Well, we're going to try and help you understand that. All right, so he says. Listen, when you're looking at the Old Testament, written engraved on stones, this was glorious. So that what group is what group of people was the Old Testament law written to? It tells you in the next part of the verse who was it written to? The children of Israel, the Jewish people, the Hebrew children. All right, so uh, uh, when God was working with the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and by the way, Gentiles could come to God and I know you know this word, if a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, wanted to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what, they had to become a what? A A proselyte, all right? In other words, they would proselytize to Judaism. That was common in Old Testament times as well. So he says, listen, we're looking at the Old Testament, the Old Testament Mosaic Law, which was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance which glory was passing away. All right, I'm going to stop there. We're going to go back to the uh, the passage where Moses actually, his face begins to shine because he goes into the presence of God up on Mount Sinai. So if you're looking at your table of contents right now, and again, I know for some this may be simplistic, but this will help us understand the difference between the Old Testament, the New Testament, what God was presenting under the Old Testament Law versus uh, what he gives us in the New Testament, or the grace of God. All right, so when we look at those first five books, those first five books were written by whom? Moses. All right, so Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Where the law comes from? That's where the law is found. That's where those six hundred plus commandments are found. That's where the Ten Commandments are given uh, uh, twice. Uh In the law, so if you're reading the Old Testament law and you're reading about the sacrificial law and the ceremonial law and the dietary laws, all those things, there was one reason why God gave the Jewish people the Old Testament law, or the Mosaic law, and here it is it was to prove to the Jewish people that they couldn't keep it. You say, "Well, why would he do that?" Why would God come up with something that's so difficult, so hard, so beyond their capability? Well, there's one reason and one reason only. God was showing the people that you cannot follow the law. There's nobody that could follow the law. No one. No one could keep it. Now, one person was able to come to this earth and was able to keep the law, and who was that? It was Jesus, who was sinless. But every other person, the law showed the Jewish people, you'll never make it. It's impossible for you to keep my commandments. And what was God saying? He was part of the Old Testament law, was the what system? Sacrificial system at the temple. So back during the Old Testament times, in order to cover the sins of the people, the sacrifices took place at the Jewish temple to Cover to atone for the sins of the Jewish people. If you go to the book of Hebrews, but don't go there now, we're not going to go there. In the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, it tells us what? That all of a sudden something massively changed. So when you look at your table of contents, you see Old Testament, you see New Testament. And when Jesus Christ comes finally, at uh, 400 years actually, after the last book of the Old Testament was written, Malachi. Jesus comes the once-for-all sacrifice that paid completely for all sin. So in the Old Testament times, the Jewish people were looking forward to what Christ did, and now, as we're going to do when we take communion communion in a little bit, we're going to look backwards 2,000 years to what Christ already accomplished. All right, so those first five books when we're talking about what in 2 Corinthians 3, when we're looking at Mosaic Law, where do we find it? Right here. Those first five books. By the way, those books were written uh, approximately 1445 B.C. So they're well over 3,000 years ago when uh, the law was delivered. So you'll also hear uh, the Jewish people, when they're referring to the Old Testament, call it the Tanakh. That includes all the the books of the Old Testament. But uh, we have the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, and the Torah, which refer to those first five books or the Mosaic Law. All right, when you look at the Old Testament, then again, I'm going to skip through this quickly, but it's just to give you a little bit of a background, which some may not have, as to what is in the Old Testament. If you read Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, those are all historical books that talk about things that happened to what? Uh, the Jewish people during uh, a pre, if you will, cr- uh, Christ times. Also in the Old Testament we have books that are classified as poetry. So we have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. All Old Testament things, all pre-Christ. Now, there are many things though in all of those books that point to the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically, some of those books uh, uh, which we call the four major prophets—Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel—give us many things that look forward to. They're called messianic or uh, uh, prophecies looking to who Christ's coming, and many other things and many other subject matters. So, we have Isaiah, Jeremiah, and of course, uh, Lamentations is com- uh, connected to Jeremiah. These are Old Testament prophets. By the way, has all the Old Testament prophets, has everything they've written about been fulfilled yet? Absolutely not. Uh, We're looking forward to many different things that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about, uh, but we're certainly not going to have time to do that today. Uh, That's why we have our Prophecy focused Global Updates on uh, Wednesday night at 6.30 to 7. Uh, Why we teach on prophecy uh, for those, again, if you look in the bulletin and our new I have a TV show called Prophecy Focus. It's on uh, VCY or VCY.TV on the internet. And then we have a show called Prophecy Unfolding every uh, Saturday at one thirty on VCY uh, FM Radio. Uh, and we get into the prophets and what they teach. Also, at the end of the Old Testament, we have the 12 minor prophets talking about many things dealing with Israel in the past and many things dealing with prophetic content for the future. All right. So what we're looking at when we're looking at the Old Testament law, when we're looking at that which was glorious and wonderful, uh, uh, so much so that Moses, when he received the law and was in the presence of God, his face is shining and glowing, all coming out of the Old Testament. Now, again, when you get past that Old Testament line, here's where, and again, if if you're a new Christian, you've just recently trusted Christ, or... If uh, you're an individual maybe you just haven't spent a lot of time reading the Bible and aren't really sure what's in it, I don't suggest starting in the Old Testament. Eventually, go back and do that. I very strongly, if you're a believer looking for Christ or searching for Christ, or if you've just recently found Him, or if you want to start understanding the Bible more, I strongly suggest you start in the New Testament, because a lot of things that were still hidden, still not disclosed in the Old Testament, are made known in the New. The New basically gives you much more uh, um, current material that will help you in your walk with Christ. All right, so again, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, give us the life of Christ, things that he did. Uh, We have one major historical book, which we're teaching on uh, Wednesday night, the book of Acts. Then we have uh, and there's several slides on this, then we have a lot of books that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, specifically uh, to the, the New Testament church: Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, all written by one person, the Apostle Paul. Those are uh, most people suggest when you first start reading the Bible, uh, the Gospel of John, gives you the really key things about what Jesus did for you. Then to get a more historical background, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, known as the Synoptic Gospels, because they do what? They they give you a synopsis of the entire life of Christ. Uh, the Pauline Epistles, they help us understand who we are in Christ, help us with our doctrine and so forth, which is uh, part of what we're in today in 2 Corinthians. Then we have one book called Hebrews. Now, when you read Hebrews, that title means something. Hebrews, are you? If you're a non-Jewish person, are you a Hebrew? No. So the book was specifically designed to be written to Jewish people that were coming to Christ. Now, there's a tremendous amount of information. It's a, it's quite a, a, a depthy book actually, and there's a lot of material for us in there. But it was originally written to Jewish people so they could understand the major difference between the mosaic law and the gospel of the grace of god and again it's it, it's totally applicable to us today but uh, that was the original uh, uh, focus of it then we have miscellaneous letters James uh, first second Peter first second and third John and Jude again all new testament letters which help us walk with god and then finally one book uh, uh, first three chapters are historical chapter 4 through 22, are all things that have not happened yet. Did you catch that? Haven't happened yet. So uh, God gives us a great deal of prophecy of things to come. All right, so that's your uh, introduction to the Bible, class 101. Okay, you all passed. So, let's go back. We're looking at the Old Testament law. And Paul... Who's? I mean, Paul's all about the New Testament. He's all about preaching Jesus Christ. He's all about the gospel. And now God is saying, listen, we have, uh, during the first century specifically, we have a bunch of Jewish people that are coming to Christ, and they need to start advancing their understanding that it's not all about what had been, but it's all about what is and is going to be. So he takes us back to Moses, and here's the passage, Exodus chapter 34. Now, it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, that's the one we all know, that's the, how many of you watch the movie, The Ten Commandments? Probably everybody. Uh, every single holiday, if it's a Christian holiday, the, the secular media, they, they don't play all the other good stuff. They play one, one. Uh, it's Easter, so they play the Ten Commandments, or whatever, uh, uh, but uh, most of us have seen the rendition. You've seen Moses walk up uh, the birding bush and all those things, and, and it's, it's not bad, but here's what it says. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were, were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him, talking with God. So when Aaron, who was his brother, and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold the skin of his face shone, and they're afraid to come near him. So we have this marvelous, glorious thing that's taking place. God gives Moses uh, uh if you will, the, the tablets of stone which God wrote himself. Moses comes down the mountain to uh, the people and they're looking at him. And it's a glorious can you can you imagine that someone literally had been in the presence of God. And next thing you know, uh, you see them, and it's like, uh, you do have a real glow about you today. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, the, 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 he's literally glowing from being in the presence of God. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he puts a veil on his face. The presence of God was so powerful, so moving, so life-changing, that literally, having been in the presence of God, he had to veil himself. Now, when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we talked about a veil that is still over many of our Jewish friends, and quite frankly, many Gentiles as well. There's a veil that's been placed over them, figuratively speaking, because they're blind to the truth. You see, let's get practical for a moment. All across America, all across the world, there are churches, there are people that are still wearing a veil because they are blinded to the truth. Many of us have come out of what we'll call mainline churches, denominational churches, where we were taught Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. Maybe if you're fortunate, maybe if your good works outweigh your bad, you'll go to where? Heaven. That's what many of us grew up listening to. Well, folks, you're not going to hear that here because it's not true. You see, those churches, those people, those preachers, those teachers, those priests, those Uh, other religions that teach you go to heaven by doing good works, by following the law, are blinded. And that's exactly what he's saying here. I don't mean to be unkind to anyone or any group, but folks, it's, 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 it's wrong, and we're going to see that as we go through this text. All right, so what does he say? Uh, uh, And Moses, when he had finished speaking, puts the veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him, speaking of the Lord. All right, so we got this, we were starting this contrast. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Moses is in the presence of God. Moses has this just awe-inspiring experience with God, and he comes down, and literally, he doesn't look the same. Poetic pause. This is a rhetorical question, meaning you don't raise your hand. (laughs) How many of you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ at some point in your life. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you were to do, die, you'd go to heaven. I remember the exact place, the exact time when I put my faith and trust in Christ. I told too many times. As a teenager, I went to a Bible study, heard for the first time that I was a sinner, that I didn't deserve to go to heaven because I was a sinner, but that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians fifteen three and 4. All of a sudden, I uh, uh, the Holy Spirit somehow touched this old hard heart at about 16 years old, and I realized beyond a shadow of a doubt I needed to uh, uh, put my faith and trust in Christ that I couldn't work my way to heaven. And it was there uh, 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 when God moved me, and I fell on my face literally in a, in a private place in my parents' basement. Didn't know what a sinner's prayer was, but I know I prayed one. And I said, Oh God, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins. And I want to receive that free gift of eternal life today. And I know I did. Now, listen, if you've had a time when you've done that same thing, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ after you came to Jesus, can anybody tell? Can anybody tell? Are you different? Did you have an encounter with Jesus Christ uh, where you put your faith and trust in Him? Was there a day when you said yes to Jesus and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you? By the way, that's not optional. It's mandatory. It happens. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen tells us that every person that comes to Christ is placed into the body of Christ by being placed into the body of Christ of the Holy Spirit. Now sometimes it takes people longer than others to mature. But boy, if if, if you're here and you're, and you're growing in Christ, people ought to be able to tell it. They ought to be able to tell it. When you go to work, they ought to be able to tell it. When you go to school, they ought to be able to tell it. When you go to the grocery store, they ought to be able to tell it. When you go to the restaurant, they ought to be able to tell it. Why? Because uh, uh, people that know Christ, you've got something that others don't have. Moses in this massive, glorious way, literally shined. His face shone because of this glorious encounter with God. Well, you're not going to shine like Moses did. Hate to tell you that. You're not going to glow like Moses did. But boy, if you're walking with God and you're growing in Christ and you're spiritually maturing, people ought to be able to tell. There should be a difference in our life. How will the ministry of the Spirit? So we have the glorious ministry of the law. Even though it condemned people, even though the law did nothing but said you can't make it on your own, that you've got to have sacrifice for your sin in the Old Testament, even though that ministry of the law was considered glorious, God says how much more glorious is what takes place today? How much more glorious is it when you place your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. The ministry is phenomenal. For the, If the ministry of condemnation, the Mosaic law had glory, the ministry of righteousness, in other words, Christ's sacrifice, the new covenant, it seeds much more in glory. Folks, do you understand the benefits that you have that the Old Testament saints did not? I mean, it's phenomenal. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the whole counsel of God. Everything's been revealed now, start to finish. And God says, this is glorious. It's it's more glorious than what I gave the Old Testament people. Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul speaks to this issue. He says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. What we're looking at now in in this particular passage, there's a problem. Some of the disciples who were Jewish all of a sudden get this bright idea that, listen, we're dealing with people, it's the first century, 2,000 years ago, and we need to make people follow the law. That's really what they're thinking. And he says, but when, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, this is Paul speaking, I said to Peter, Peter, Peter was a great guy, but he, he made a lot of mistakes. And Peter's now telling the Gentiles that you better live like Jewish people under the law, because culturally, socially, he was in a bad place. And Paul gets on Peter for trying to make Gentiles live underneath the Old Testament Mosaic law. So Paul says, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Here's what he's saying. Remember, Peter had just been with Jesus earlier, right? He was a disciple. He was an apostle. He knew Christ. He watched him. Peter knew the Old Testament law. Now, with all due respect to Peter, he's looking at Gentiles, non-Jewish people that are making decisions to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Peter says to them, all right, you still need to follow the law. Culturally, you better follow the law. And he starts to put this burden on them. And what does Paul say? Paul gets upset with Peter. He's like, Peter, what are you doing? He's like, do you understand that when Jesus came, the Old Testament Mosaic law, he fulfilled it. It's done. It's over. Now you say, well, what about the Ten Commandments? Well, nine of the ten are still enforced in, in, in uh, the New Testament. So there's things, there's, there's uh, uh, if you will, the moral laws have never changed. They've always existed. And the uh, uh, Old Testament law, of course, had moral laws as part of it. But the sacrificial laws, we don't, we don't do sacrifices anymore. The dietary laws, I'll guarantee you, there's probably no one in this room that follows them. There might be, but I doubt it. Uh, the priestly law, none of those things exist anymore. None of those things take place. Why? Because when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. It was done. And Peter says, listen, you better follow the law, Gentiles. And Paul says, what? Knock it off, Peter. We're under the New Testament. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. And here it is, folks, black and white. Knowing that a man or woman is not justified by the works of the what? The law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by what? Now, wait a minute. Is faith works? It's not. Faith is when at one point in time, all of a sudden, Bam, just like happened to me when I told you. I heard the gospel from a Bible study I went to. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I didn't deserve to go to heaven. I believed that Jesus Christ, God's son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried and 3 days later rose from the dead. And I knew. You know, you ever heard that verse John 3:16? Everybody says it. It's in every stadium, every subway in, in the country. For God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, anyone, anyone, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, what's the next word? Believeth on Him should not perish, but have... Where's works in that? Where's the works? You say, well, He didn't say anything about works. You know why? Because there aren't any. It's that simple. You say, well, I've been, I've been told all my life, I've got to work, I've got to do my best, I've got to try my hardest, I've got to go to catechism, I've got to take communion, I've got to be baptized, I've got to uh, uh, do all these wonderful things. And God says, no, you don't. Ephesians two eight nine. Almost everybody knows it, but we're going to go to verse 10 this morning. For by grace, God's free and merited gift, are you saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin, For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. God said you can't follow the law. Never is going to happen. The law simply shows you can't follow it. Well, what's verse 10? Let's see. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Verse 10, for we, Christian, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, works, good works happen after you place your faith and trust in Christ because everything before Christ, I hate to tell you, here's God's assessment of that. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Every single thing that we call good works, every single thing that we like to say, man, I I really nailed it this time, I really did it good, God says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. You see, before Christ, God doesn't accept your quote-unquote good works. The only thing God is looking for is His Son came down, sacrificed His life, died on the cross, was buried, and was raised again. And God said basically this How dare you disrespect what Jesus Christ did for you by thinking you can earn it on your own? Point blank. So if you're here this morning, here's the good news. You say, I've been trying and trying and trying. I've been giving everything I got, and I, and I hope I get to heaven someday. And God says this Hope is not a plan. Hope is not a plan. Here's the assurance Place your faith and trust in Christ today and you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can go to heaven. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you serve those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, Christian, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? What's he talking about? The Mosaic law, to which you desire again to be in bondage. Listen, if you want to be in bondage, the Bible says, sure, go right back to the Old Testament law. What is he saying? He's not saying to do it. It's, it's a facetious type statement. He's saying, don't go back to the law. You have been freed from the law. Why? Because we're children of Jesus Christ. And when he says it point blank, you want to go back into bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. All part of the Mosaic Law. Folks, we have a a, a massive group that exists within America and around the world that are trying to go back. Well, we're going to observe seasons and days and times. We're going to observe the uh, 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 the seven feasts in Leviticus 23, Passover, Pentecost, uh, 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 Feast of Tabernacles, uh, atone, Feast of Atonement, and, and the others. And I'm, I'm out of order right now, but here's the issue. The issue is God does not want His people returning to that which He paid for. He's like, you want to go back and do all those things? What does he tell us here? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Here's what Paul says. He says, I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. He's like, why are you going back to the Old Testament law? Why are you putting yourself back under bondage when Christ has made you free? I got three amens. Folks, that's great. This is good news. You are not under bondage. You are under God's liberty and his freedom from the Old Testament law. Folks, that's something to shout about. That's good stuff. All right, let's move forward. Uh, Justin, a few minutes ago, read Galatians five sixteen to 26. I don't, I'm not going to go through it again. But folks, what's it talking about? That whole passage and why I had him read it is this. Listen, all those things that were listed, and some of you are probably going, oh boy, this is, this is a horrible list. Why are we reading about all these terrible things? Because God said, listen, back before you, if you're a Christian today, you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, those are the things that control the unsaved mind. Those are the things that are not glorious. And then all of a sudden he says, But the fruit of the spirit, when you're walking with God. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, all the other things that he brought out. Fruit of the Spirit, if you're walking with God, a new transformed life in Jesus. Not stuck in the Old Testament bondage, not stuck in the Mosaic law, but the freedom that you have in Jesus today. Well, the glorious, the second contrast very quickly, the glorious ministry of the law. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away, speaking of the Mosaic law was glorious, wait a second, Galatians 3.24, key verse. Those of you that struggle with, well, should I follow the law or not? And an individual come up to me a couple of weeks ago, and this happens all the time. And he said, you know, I believe we're supposed to follow the law. And I said, okay. He happened to be here on a Sunday. He's not here today. So I don't mean to embarrass anybody who wouldn't know who it is. But uh, I said, what are you doing here? Sunday. Um, and he's like, "Well," and I said, "Let me ask you a question." I said, "Did you obey the Sabbath yesterday?" When's the Sabbath, folks? Friday night at uh, sundown till Saturday night at sundown. Friday and Sunday, on the Saturday, Sunday. I'm like, "Did you did you observe the Sabbath yesterday?" Well, no. I said, "Why not?" I thought you said you're under the law. Bible makes it very clear that God's people after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ meet on the what day of the week? First day of the week. What day is the first day of the week? That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. And I ask this person, and this is the, it it happens, I mean, it it happens all the time with folks that are stuck thinking they got to follow the law. I'm like, okay, yeah, the nine of the ten commandments are reiterated in the New Testament. All good with that. Follow them. Why, why didn't she observe the Sabbath? Well, and he says, you know, I feel really bad about that. I don't do that. And I said, why? Well, because I'm under the law. I know I need to follow the law. And, and I said, well, have you ever read the book of Galatians? And I, I didn't want to argue with him, and I, and I knew he was sincere as the day as long, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings, but it's like, listen, my friend, read the, go home and read the book of Galatians, and that guilt will go away like that because we're not under the law. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by what faith, faith. Hey, folks. I don't know if you can see it, but that says Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-four, Pauline epistle, New Testament. He's making it very clear: you are not under the law, folks, and, and that's what Paul said a little bit earlier in Corinthians. You want to follow the law? Knock yourself out, but you're not—you're never going to do it. You can't. It's impossible. And by the way, 90% of the things in order to follow the law, you got to be in Jerusalem, and I don't see you know, who's going to live there. Oh, and yeah, is, the, is there a temple in Jerusalem today? you got a problem. You can't do it. It's impossible. All right, let's move on. Uh, the glorious ministry of grace. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, We use what? Great boldness of speech. Boldness of speech. Folks, when you go out, uh, uh, as you do, and you go out and you tell folks about Christ, wherever you are, and and you go to the, the shopping malls, or you go to your work, or you go to your friends, or you go to your neighbor, and it's like, man, we've got something to be bold about. Now, not obnoxious bold, but simply what's he talking about? You have a message that makes sense. You have a message that's authenticated by the Word of God to tell others the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom we all are. Great boldness. We don't wear a veil anymore. We don't hide. We don't cower. It's bold. Again, not obnoxious bold, but simply, man, I got a passion about this. I got a passion about uh, what we believe in. We have a passion about what Jesus Christ did for us. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not steadily uh, look steadily at the end of what was passing away. You see, Moses had this glorious experience. Moses had to put this veil on. And you know why? Because if he takes the veil off, uh, uh, there's this blindness that occurs. Folks, do you know that many people are still blinded today? Many of us have Jewish friends and you try and share the gospel with them, and it's the veil's on. They can't see through the veil today. And you pray and you beg God for the Holy Spirit to lift the veil on their heart so that they might see the truth. And on occasion, uh, some Jews, some Gentiles, just like many of you, the veil was taken away, and all of a sudden, the glorious gospel of Christ changed your life. Jewish people, their minds were blinded. For until, what? This day, it's still a barrier. Until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in reading of the what? The Old Testament. Now, folks, many times when I'm speaking with Jews, I don't go to the New Testament. I I go to Isaiah 53, I go to Daniel chapter 9, I go to Messianic Psalms, showing who Christ is. And can someone come to Christ by, if they understand what they're reading in the Old Testament? Of course they can't. Philip, the evangelist, goes down to the Ethiopian eunuch, a proselyte to Judaism, and he's reading Isaiah 53 in the book of Acts and Philip explains from Isaiah 53 who Jesus was the eunuch comes to Christ makes a profession of faith gets baptized to prove, to, basically to show his profession of faith documenting it uh, so yeah you can, you can preach Jesus from the Old Testament you can maybe have to be a little more skilled than some but it's there but boy that veil is gone in the New Testament and the veil is taken away in whom it's up on the screen folks the veil is taken away in whom? There you go. Folks, when, uh, uh, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, if you've done that, and some of you here this morning may not have, we'll explain that in about the next minute. We had a veil on our face. I had a veil on my face for 16 years. I went to church like many of you. I listened to the messages. I went to the services. I tried to do all the right things. I actually tried to be a good kid growing up. And then all of a sudden, I hear for the first time, at least to my knowledge, at 16 years of age, that every single thing I did was worthless. And it's like, well, that makes sense because I'm still scared to death. If I die, I'm not going to go to heaven. I didn't know. And some of you in this room are in that same boat right now. You don't know if you were to die, you go to heaven. All right, got to close. Here it is. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 knowing that a man or woman is not justified by the works of the what the law where do you find the law folks we showed you in your table of contents the old testament and now Jesus is saying through the apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit listen you're not saved by doing anything of the Old Testament law or the Mosaic law knowing that a man or woman is not justified by the works of the law but by what? faith in Jesus Christ even we have believed folks that's it by the way belief is not a work faith is not a work It's a mindset where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's working in your mind. All of a sudden you realize that you're a sinner. You realize you don't deserve heaven. You realize that Jesus Christ came down and died on the cross for your sins, and you actually do what? You believe it. You've got to believe it. Just having head knowledge, just knowing a historical fact doesn't work. You've got to go to that step number four and believe on it, placing your faith in what Jesus did for you. What? That we might be justified by, say the word, faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, uh uh-oh, no flesh shall be justified. If you're here this morning and you know beyond a shadow of doubt, that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Where are you going to spend eternity? I'm going to be with the Lord for eternity. What a glorious thought. What a wonderful thought. What a pleasant thought. I look across the room this morning, and I see folks, there's multiple people in this room that just recently lost loved ones. It's like, oh God, it's so hard. It's so tough. And it is hard. And it is tough. And we sorrow. And we our hearts break. Then all of a sudden we read in First Thessalonians chapter four. When your heart's broke and the tears are flowing down. And the Bible says we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. We don't sorrow like others. It still hurts when we lose loved ones. We hate to see people we love Go on before us, but every single person that's placed their faith and trust in Christ, one day we will see them again. That's not that's not a guess. That's an assurance for those that know Jesus. Can I ask you this question before we take communion? Two questions. Number one, we've talked about it multiple times. If you're to die right now, do you know? Do you know? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you were to die that you go to heaven? Do you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt? You say, some of you right now are saying, absolutely, Pastor, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Some of you can't. If I asked you to raise your hand right now, if you know for sure you'd go to heaven, you couldn't do it because you don't know. All right, here it is. One more time, and then we're going to take communion. In order to take communion, these four things have to be something that you have put your faith and trust in. Number one, the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. We've all done wrong. The Bible also says, number two, because we sinned, if I got what I deserved, if you got what you deserved, we'd all spend eternity in an awful place called the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross. That's why the cross is up there to remind us every single time we walk in this room of who paid for our Our our, uh, sins. Who is promising to take us to heaven? Uh, What did he do? Jesus Christ, God's son, literally leaves heaven's glory, takes on the form of a human being, lives on this earth for some 33 years and is then horribly treated, crucified. Why did Jesus, God's son, go to a cross? If you get saved by what you do, it would have been a totally worthless endeavor. But it was not. Jesus made it clear. He paid the entire sacrifice for our sins right on the cross. Not only did he uh, uh, get crucified, they put him in the ground for three days, if you will, in the tomb to verify his death. Then what happens three days later to prove he was God? Up from the grave he arose, and Jesus rises from the dead. Now you say, I knew that when I walked in, but I still don't know if I died to go to heaven. That's because he did not take point number four, which is the last one. And we talked about a few minutes earlier. John 3.16, For God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace, God's free and merited gift, are you saved? Saved from sin. Saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Are you ready to trust Christ by faith this morning? Are you ready to put your faith and trust in Him? If you are, it will be the greatest day of your life. And then in a few moments, we'll take communion together. Finally, Christian, First Corinthians 11 warns us that we should be in a right relationship with Him. We'll come to that in just one moment. But I'm going to give you a chance this morning. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, how about doing that right now? There's nothing you need to do except one thing. Trust Him by faith. I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment. The prayer is not what will save you or take you to heaven. But if you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus this very moment, we're going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving simply to thank God for what He's doing in your life this very moment. Would you receive that free gift? Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the folks that are here today. And Father, I know that the majority of folks here have already placed their faith and trust in Christ. But Father, there may be one, two, maybe more this morning that right now, as we prepare for communion, they need to trust Jesus. They need to be right with Him. They need to realize that they've sinned and don't deserve heaven. If that's you this morning, would you receive that free gift? You say, how do I do it? It's by faith. You just receive it. Receive that free gift by faith. Accept it. Did you do it? Well, I'm so happy you did. Let's give God the praise and thank Him for what just took place. Dear God, and you can pray silently along with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I didn't deserve to go to heaven, and I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. And as the Word of God stated, I'm receiving, I've actually received now that free gift this morning by faith. Thank you so much.